Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word, taken from Luke 5, 1 through 26. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And we had, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down while his bed threw the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The grass withers 
and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to hear stories of your work in, in the lives of your people. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the way in which you are at work in all of our lives, the ways in which you have provided for us. And we return now to you our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings asking that you would use them for your kingdom, uh, to build up your kingdom, to establish it here and throughout the world in order that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed. Father, we pray as we ourselves prepare to sit beneath the teaching and preaching of your word that you would open our ears, um, but that we would not merely be hearers of your word, but also doers of your word. Help us to respond in faith as you reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We pray that you would reveal him to us so that we would be reminded this day or even learn for the very first time this day that though we are far more broken than we could ever imagine, because of Jesus and his person and work, we are far more loved, far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. So we pray that you would give us the eyes of faith to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Y'all forgot to pass the offering plates? See, we, uh, go ahead and pass the offering plates now. Um, this, I told you, this is new. This is a curveball. Um, so we're not all on the same page. And that's, a, that's okay. We'll figure it out. Um, children are dismissed to Children's Church, ages 3 to 6. And while the plates are being passed, I'm going to introduce... Um, this morning's passage and sermon to you. So last week we started a new series called The Hands of the King, which is going going to be a series uh, through Luke's gospel, but what we're really focusing on in Luke's gospel are the miracles of Jesus. And this morning we read that long passage uh, that Mark read for us earlier, and in that passage we see three miracles of Jesus. Um, and we're going to try to cover all three of those this morning. Yeah, I, we could deal with each one one by one, uh, but I think it could be very profitable for us this morning to really try to look at all three of them together. Before our family moved to Memphis, um, I spent several years doing campus ministry uh, at the University of Tennessee at Martin and at Mississippi State University, and we would have students regularly in our homes. And like many people in our home, we had pictures of our family scattered throughout, and in our living room, we had this, this one picture of my wife and I, and it was on our wedding day. And there we are in this beautifully framed picture, and my wife is looking beautiful, glowing, in her white wedding dress, and I'm looking better than I normally do in my tuxedo and, and all that, and we're, we're cutting our, our cake together. And um, it was a cute, it was special picture, all that kind of stuff. And we had all these kids in our house, and um, this girl was looking at this picture, this college student. And I don't know if it just slipped out accidentally um, or, or what, but she just blurted it out, wow, Nathan, you have gained a lot of weight. Um, and I don't know what I said. 
I still don't know how to respond. Like, I wish I knew what to say when somebody says that. Well, thank you. And ouch, um, that hurts, right? But here's what was very obviously happening for her. Uh, She saw this picture of me from years gone by, um, and she had this image of the present me in front of her. And, um, and they, they weren't so much conflicting, but they were giving her a more complex view of who I am, right? Uh, a more in-depth picture of what she knew about me. Um, obviously, the man before me possesses very little self-control and, um, and does not eat all health food, uh, is what she was getting. But here's why I tell this little story about myself. When it comes to dealing with Jesus... When it comes to dealing with Jesus, we all have a tendency to want to pick and choose what we believe about Jesus, what, what stories we will key in on as the main stories for us. You know, I like this picture of Jesus, um, but not that pe- picture of Jesus. This story of Jesus makes me feel good, but this story about Jesus kind of disturbs me, and so I would just rather not think about it. The problem with that, of course, is that there's a real Jesus, and he's a real person, and you can't just pick and choose what you like. You have to deal with the real Jesus in all of his complexity and in all of his depth. Together, I think, these miracles, when we look at them together, we'll see some of this complexity and depth. Uh, But because we're looking at such a large section, we're not going to be able to deal with every detail. But here are the three things that I want us to see this morning. The frightening presence of Jesus, the compassionate presence of Jesus, and the puzzling presence of Jesus. And they all go together, okay? First, I want us to think about the frightening presence of Jesus. In this first miraculous story of the disciples catching all of this fish, Jesus is pulling back the veil a little bit on his identity. And when the disciples catch a glimpse of Jesus' identity, especially Simon Peter, they were afraid. I mean, they were terrified by what they saw. I mean, you think about this story. Jesus had been preaching, and the crowds were gathering, and so it got so large that he got out on a boat, and the boats weren't being used because they had already come in from their fishing expedition. And now the fishermen are mending their nets. And so Jesus has one of these boats pull out. And then Jesus, who is not a professional fisherman, but a carpenter, um, told these professional fishermen to go back, go back out in the water and put down your nets for a catch. And I think you can hear a little bit of their frustration in verse 5. Master, now, they, they didn't say this part. This is the Nathan edition. Master, you're a carpenter. We're fishermen. We toiled all night and took nothing. Right? We're fishermen. We know what we're doing. But Simon seems to be playing along a little bit here. I don't know if it was sarcastic or not, but he says, But at your word, I will let down the nets. And, of course, when they did, they caught so many fish that their nets were breaking and their boats were beginning to sink. Some of you have probably done some recreational fishing. You've gone trout fishing or brim fishing or bass fishing or something like that. This was their job. And so this means, this meant something to these men when their boats were about to sink. It meant something like this. Ka-ching, 
we just made a ton of money, right? We have never had a day as profitable in our business as this one day. Our nets are breaking. Our boats are about to sink. We have so many fish. And because of that, you might guess that these guys were thinking, wow, Jesus is really super helpful, right? He could be useful to me getting to the goals of my life. I mean, he just turned a terrible day into the best day ever. But instead, we read this response to Jesus unveiling his identity in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When Peter and the other disciples realized who was present with them, they were frightened. They were terrified. They wanted Jesus to leave. They wanted him to go away, to stop, to stop shaking and disturbing them and troubling them with his presence. And Peter tells us why. For I am a sinful man. See, to be in the presence of Jesus is frightening because it, it's there that we become acutely aware of how unfit we are to be in his presence. And before you just chalk this up to, well, they just didn't know Jesus very well up until this point. I want you to realize that this is exactly how everyone in the Bible feels when they get near God. Right? It, it's what happens when you get near the real Jesus who is God in the flesh. Moses was terrified before the burning bush. The people of Israel trembled and quaked at Mount Sinai and at the voice of God. Isaiah, when he saw God, when he got near God, he said, woe is me. He's calling down curses upon himself. For I am a man of unclean lips, he says. This is on such a collision course with our culture and a lot of what we think about when it comes to church. Because we're always demanding that church and life make us feel good about ourselves. And when it doesn't, we want out immediately. We distract ourselves. We numb ourselves. We, we run away in all kinds of different ways. And if you've been around here long enough, that feeling has probably been upon you here at times. Where you are sitting here listening to God's Word and thinking, I feel foolish. I feel exposed. I feel ugly. I feel flawed. I feel self-centered. I feel twisted and broken. And if you run every time, you will fail to realize that very often what that really means is that you are getting near God. You are getting near the real Jesus because every time His perfect wisdom will come and make you feel foolish. And His perfect beauty will will come and make you feel ugly in its presence. And His perfect holiness will make you feel flawed when you get close. And His perfect other-centered love is going to make you feel self-centered when you get near Him. This is what happens. You know, I hope to come back by, by the time we finish to address how it is that these frightened disciples would turn around on their best day on the job ever and leave it all and follow Jesus. But I do want you to sit here for another uncomfortable moment 
and recognize Jesus' frightening presence. Because this is telling you that when you get near Jesus, you, you realize you cannot play with Him. You can't toy with Him. You can't pretend that He'll be a help to you. That He'll be useful to you reaching your goals in life. He is the rightful King. And He is clothed in terrifying beauty, in frightening holiness, and in soul-shaking wisdom. In a few weeks, we're going to get to another uh, miracle story in the Gospel of Luke, which involves these professional fishermen again. Men who, remember, made their living at sea. But let me, I, I want to use it here as a brief illustration before we leave this point. In that story, it's in uh, Luke chapter 8, uh, these disciples, these men, they were on the sea when a terrible storm came up, and they were scared, and they thought they were going to die. Right? And you have to imagine that for men who spent their entire lives on the sea navigating storms, that this had to be a pretty bad storm to scare these men like this, that they thought they were going to die. But in that story, some of you remember this story, Jesus stood up in the middle of it, and he rebuked the storm. And when he did, immediately the wind stopped, and the pounding waves ceased, and everything got calm. And here's what Luke says in Luke chapter 8, verse 25, after Jesus calmed the storm. And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Luke is saying, They were afraid in the storm, but they were terrified in the calm. Afraid in the storm for their lives, but their souls were shaking with fear in the presence of the one who commands the winds and the waves. I'm not saying in this first point, you know, I'm not trying to be a grumpy old man and saying, a little fear will do you good. Um, What I'm saying is, a little reality will do your soul good. To come into the presence of the real Jesus is to come into his frightening presence. He won't be trifled with. He holds the seas in the hollow of his hand. And he weighs the mountains in a balance. He hasn't come to be useful to you, reaching your goals. Have you met this Jesus? Have you dealt with this Jesus? This is the real Jesus. This is a Jesus with some depth and complexity to his character and his personhood. Second, we can keep going here. The real presence of Jesus isn't just frightening. It's compassionate, the compassionate presence of Jesus. Think about the final miracle in Luke chapter 5 that we read, the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Luke tells us in verse 17 that Jesus was teaching and everyone was coming to him and they were crowding to him and they were cramming into this this building, this house to hear him. And, And if you could imagine being there for that, maybe you got there early enough to get a front row seat. But in the middle of Jesus' teaching, in the middle of Jesus' preaching, you heard footsteps on the roof. And then you saw some dust falling from the roof. And then dust turned to clumps of earth dropping down from the roof. And then eventually you saw a hand poke through. And then multiple hands. And a hole opened up big, big enough for a full-grown man to be lowered down through that hole. It, here's, what, here's what I think. You might think, 
that's a little distracting. Um, you know, it probably qualifies for an interruption. I, I've done this public speaking thing for, for a little while now, and I don't get thrown too badly by interruptions, but and this is not to make anyone feel guilty, but I still lose my train of thought when I catch people resting their eyelids, um, those kind of things. Um, you know, if I lose my train of thought like that, Imagine how bad it would be if drywall started falling uh, through the middle, and all of a sudden we looked up and we saw five people up there. That would be distracting. Now, let me say this. I don't know what Jesus was preaching on on this occasion, but I bet it was good. And I bet nobody was falling asleep on him because God himself was preaching, right? Right? And it was the best sermon these people had ever heard. And it seems really important to me that Jesus didn't say, you totally ruined my third point. I was coming in for the closing, and you, you interrupted me, and you ruined it. No, that's not what happened at all. When Jesus saw this broken paralytic, that paralytic got all of Jesus' undivided attention, his compassionate attention and focus. And we'll come back to the dialogue that's, that's present in that story in the last point. But Jesus spoke to that paralytic in verse 24. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus wasn't angry with him for interrupting. What he was was compassionate to him. Compassionate to turn, to stop what he was doing, and heal this man. Now, now think about the middle story, this, this uh, passage about the leper. Leprosy during Jesus' day, it, it really covered a variety of skin diseases and disorders. But this man was full of leprosy, is what Luke tells us in verse 12. Head to toe, he's covered with these sores, with these boils. And the law was very clear on this point. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. The hair and the clothes, they were messed up so that you could see from a distance and know not to go close to that man because he has an infectious disease. He's contagious. Right? If you happen to mistakenly, mistakenly come near his way, he was required, the leper was required to scream at you, unclean, unclean. And then he would get to watch the panic on your face as you grabbed your children and got as fast away from him as you possibly could. You were kicked out of society. Leave your wife and your children, possibly to never hold them or hug them again and live in isolation. You could not go into the temple. You were, you were banned from entering the temple. You were unclean. And here's what I'm saying. Real loneliness. Total isolation. Real helplessness. Physical, emotional, social, and spiritual isolation. And psychological, I mean, imagine having to scream your uncleanness at people. 
a, a lot's going on here, I, I, I know. But I want you to notice in verse 12 that Jesus was in one of these cities when this leper came to him. The city was off limits to this leper. In coming to Jesus like this, he is showing you his utter desperation. Because if Jesus won't heal him, and I mean heal him on the spot, then he knows that he is most likely going to be stoned to death in the next moment. So yes, it was compassionate when Jesus responded to this man's plea to make him clean and healed him. But I want to go one step further with you. We just saw in the case of the paralytic that Jesus doesn't need, he does not need to touch anyone in order to heal them. He simply spoke, and the paralytic picked up his mat and went home. But verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched this leper, saying, I will be clean. Jesus didn't need to touch him. He was showing his compassionate presence. It had likely been months, maybe years, since this man had felt the warmth of human touch and contact. Jesus, he was bringing this man completely out of his isolation. He let the man approach him. He spoke to the man. He touched him. And he told him, go to the temple and get proof of your cleansing. Every aspect of his life reversed when he came to Jesus. The author Kent Hughes, he tells this great story about a man that he once counseled. Just give you a little brief bit of what he, he writes. He writes, I once counseled a lonely man who was not a Christian. He had no family that cared. He belonged to no church. In describing his loneliness, he said that he had his hair cut once a week just to have someone touch him with no misunderstanding. The human need for physical touch for others. What must the touch of Jesus have felt like to this leper? I mean, it's amazing just to dream about it and think about it. It's unbelievable. The end of his isolation. Years ago, I heard someone tell a story about a guy and a girl in college, and they got to know each other, and eventually they started dating, but there was something odd about this girl, and what was odd about her was that she wore these gloves all the time. It didn't matter if it was cold or hot outside, she always had these gloves on, and very early on, this young man who started dating this young woman, he had asked one of her close friends, what's the deal with the gloves? And he was told that she had some form of cancer that had attacked her hands and had left her hands very scarred and gnarled and deformed, and she was ashamed of them. And so she would cover them up with these gloves. And, um, and so he learned this, and he, he never said anything about it until months later when he wanted to profess his love to her. And so they were out walking around this lake, and they came to this bench, and he held her hands. And, you know, actually, I don't know if all of this is true. Some of this I may have made up, um, but, uh, and added to this story significantly over the years. 
But it should be true. This story should be true. Um, factual or not. Because he took her hands and he slipped off her glove and exposed that scarred, twisted hand, broken. And he put his lips to her hand and kissed her and said, I love you. Now, he exposed the very thing she was most ashamed about, and he kissed her brokenness. See, that story should be true, whether it's factual or not, because this story in Luke, it is far better than that. You know how you and I, we are so afraid to have our leprous spots exposed to one another. We hide in so many ways. We are terrified that if someone saw, if someone knew, I wouldn't have to scream unclean, unclean, because they would run as far and as fast as they could from me. And here is Jesus. He doesn't have to touch this man, but he does. He moves towards the ugly, isolating brokenness to bring full restoration. And let me tell you quickly what this means, and then we'll be on to our last point. But this means that you can go to him, that you can interrupt him with your brokenness, that you can run to him, and he won't send you away. This means that no matter what you've done, or how dirty you think you are, or how soiled or tainted or defiled you feel, or what your record is, that if you come to Jesus, you will find his compassion, that he is willing to reach out and touch you and make you clean. Okay, finally, we're going to deal with the last point here, the puzzling presence of Jesus. Look, the paralytic's friends, they went through all this trouble to get their friend to Jesus. They lowered him through the roof. And what's the first thing Jesus said when he came down through that roof? He said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I was one of the friends who did this, I would have said something like this. Um, Excuse me, Jesus. I think you misread this situation here. Um, His problem is that he can't walk. And that's why we brought him to you. Remember the roof thing from like five seconds ago? (laughs) I'm willing to bet that more than a few of you have been puzzled by Jesus like this before. Because you say, Jesus, my career is going down the tubes. Help. We are in such financial trouble right now. We need you to show up. And we need you to fix this. And I'm sick, or I'm I'm struggling with my family, and I'm struggling with my kids. Would you please show up and fix them? Would you please fix my spouse? For crying out loud, a lot of us are saying those kind of things. These circumstances in my life, we are saying, I'm lonely, or I'm hurt, or I'm anxious, and I'm crying out for help to Jesus. But Jesus, you don't seem to notice the terrible circumstances of my life. I can't move my legs. That's my problem. Why is Jesus so puzzling like this at times? See, this story, I think, is showing us that Jesus sees right past this man's circumstances in his life to his deeper brokenness in his life. 
It's actually a very important point. The, the word is getting out about Jesus. Jesus has the power to heal, and the crowds, they're, they're coming and they're gathering. Fix this Jesus, fix that Jesus. And in this move, Jesus is showing us that he didn't just come to fix the brokenness we know we have. The legs, the family trouble, the career trouble. He also came to heal the deeper brokenness that we don't even know we have. The root of all our brokenness. And I hope that you get why the Pharisees were upset and murmuring about what they, call, what they called Jesus' blasphemy in verse 21. When Jesus looked at this man lying on this mat and told him that his sins were forgiven, he might as well have been saying, you know all the sins in your life, all the lust, all the greed, all the idolatry, all the anger, all the self-centeredness in your life. He was saying all of those things, those were against me. You have wounded me with those sins, and I forgive you. He went after the deeper brokenness in this man's life. I know it's dizzying to keep going back and forth with all these stories, but if you can think with me about the leper again briefly, Jesus healed the leper, didn't he? Yes, but he didn't just just heal the leper. Jesus made him clean. Right? Why was it important to stay away from lepers? For them to be outside of the city and to have to shout unclean because leprosy was contagious. And if the sick, defiled, unclean came into contact with the clean, then the clean would become infected. We have four little children, and I love them dearly. But especially when they were younger, well, they still are a little bit, but they're very, very messy is what I'm trying to get across. And we learned pretty early on how dirty things can make clean things dirty, <laughs> right? Sandboxes, chocolate pudding, cherry limeades from Sonic. Um, you know, when chocolate pudding falls on the clean carpet, the clean carpet gets dirty, When the cherry limeade is spilled on someone's dress or in the car seat, the clean car seat, the dress and the car seat get dirty and the sand gets tracked onto the clean floors, the clean floors get dirty. I mean, if I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times, right? The thing that is unclean makes the clean thing unclean. Everyone knows that. But Luke is saying here, For the first time in the history of the world, clean met unclean, and the unclean became clean. Jesus told the leper, go and do these offerings and these washings at the temple and get certified that you are clean. But Jesus didn't go. And he didn't go do the washings and the offerings like he was supposed to do for having touched a leper. Because he was saying, I am cleanliness itself, and whatever comes in contact with me gets clean. It's an amazing story that Luke is telling us. Your scarlet sins will become white as snow if you come in contact with Jesus. Your filthy rags 
will be exchanged for the robe of righteousness. Now, how is that possible? Did you notice the leper, he came into the city to meet Jesus. But if you read the story, after Jesus cleansed the leper, Jesus went outside of the city. They were exchanging places. Jesus asked the Pharisees in verse 23, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? Which is easier, to forgive or to heal this man's legs? Jesus was hinting at something. He was saying, it's going to be way more difficult for me to forgive your sins. Because what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to change places. You're immobilized on that mat. I'm going to be immobilized on a cross. I will give my life for you. What held the King of Kings' hands on that cross? Certainly not the nails. It was His love for you and me. Now listen, frightened by Jesus' presence, aware of His divinity, the disciples clearly saw, it was foolish to imagine that Jesus came to be a help or to be useful to them meeting their goals in life, right? But that every bit of their lives was meant to revolve around Him and His purposes. And so they walked away from all their prophets. Somebody cashed in on those fish that day, I am sure of that. But not the disciples. They saw in that moment, He has the words of life. Even though we're scared right now, we have to follow Him. Soon after, they found that not only was Jesus' presence frightening, but it was compassionate. And it will still be puzzling for us at times. There's so many applications that we could draw from all these stories. Being engaged in Jesus' purpose and fishing for men, that's a great thing. Moving, moving out to the fringes of society like Jesus to meet the broken. Caring about real spiritual brokenness, but not at the expense of not seeking to meet emotional and physical and social and psychological brokenness either. But here's the biggest question I want to ask you as we close. Have you met the real Jesus? Have you come in contact with the real Jesus? Do you know what it is to be frightened by Him? To know His holiness? To know that He is God in the flesh? Do you know what it is to work through being puzzled by Jesus in your life? And do you know that He is full of compassion for you? Listen, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Come to him and you will find rest for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's pray together. Our gracious heavenly father, we thank you that we could be here today. We thank you that you have given us these stories through Luke, that we could read them that we could hear them read to us, that we could talk about what they mean for us. And Father, we pray that You would forgive us, that You would forgive us for failing to see the real Jesus, for picking and choosing what we want to believe about Him. And Father, we pray that we would 
come to deal with him as he is. His frightening presence, his compassionate presence, and his puzzling presence. Remind us of the good news this morning, we pray. That he came to make the unclean clean. That he came to be nailed to a cross. To be immobilized upon a cross. In order that he would exchange places with us. And forgive us all our sins. And cover us with the robe of his righteousness. Father, we pray that this knowledge would indeed move us out. Move us out towards the broken around us. Move us out in compassion ourselves to the needs we see around us. Move us out in order that we might ourselves become fishers of men. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.